I love those songs that are very clear on spiritual warfare and uh, Christian battle against sin. Um, I think that's something that we should speak more often about. And um, because oftentimes life lures us into this sense of this feeling that we're not in a battle, that there aren't spiritual powers going on, that there isn't uh, another realm in which demons and angels are fighting uh, over your soul and uh, seeking to influence you in ways that um, lead you away from the path of righteousness. And, uh, and we have to be uh, reminded often that that is the case, that is the situation, that is our current um, calling is to live in the midst of that battle, putting on the armor of God and praying against uh, the temptations of the enemy. Our uh, scripture passage tonight is 1 John chapter 2, verse 24 through 29. 1 John chapter 2, verse 24 through 29. Pew Bible, page 1,900. Here now the reading of God's holy, infallible, inspired, and sufficient word. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what He promised us, even eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real and not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him has been born of him. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Um, I've had this long uh, standing idea or concept that when uh, new children are born into your family and um, you know, you've got the wife's side of the family the mother's side of the family, and you've got the father's side of the family. And what I find pretty interesting is that whenever uh, the baby is born, the father's side of the family always says, oh, the baby looks like, the, the baby looks like daddy, the baby looks like daddy, right? And then whenever, you know, the, the mother's side of the family looks at the baby, they always go, oh, the baby looks like, the, the baby looks like you, and the baby looks like mommy. And I wonder, why is that, you know? Why is that? That the father's side of the family always thinks the baby looks like him, and the mother's side of the family always thinks the baby looks like her. And I came to the conclusion that the reason why uh, that happens is because um, the, uh, a couple reasons. One is because the father's side of the family, they know what he looked like as a baby. And the mother's side of the family, they know what she looked like as a baby. But the, the flip side to that is, the reason why the father's side of the family thinks the baby looks like the father is because they've looked at the father more than they've looked at the mother. The father's been in their life more than the mother's been in their life, right? 
So they spent their whole 18 years raising that kid. They've looked at him. They know what he looks like. They've studied his features. And so the baby's features that are similar to the father's features pop out to them. And the same goes for the mother. They spent their whole life raising that, that daughter. Uh, first 18 years of her life, they lived at home with her, watched her grow up, studied her features. And so whatever features are on that baby that are similar to the mother's features, they pop out to them. And you might be asking, Carrie, what does this have to do with our, um, our passage? Well, what I'm saying is the more time you spend with someone, the more you tend to know what they look like. Right? And the same is true of Jesus. This passage says some form of the word abide, remain, continue in Jesus. And the reality is that the longer we spend with Jesus, the more we know what he looks like, the more features we can begin to grasp from him. And also, the reverse happens. The more we begin to look like Jesus, the more we begin to take on his features, the more we begin to become similar to him. And that's really what John is talking about here in this passage tonight, our theme. If you abide in the truth, you will become more like the one who is the truth. If you abide in the truth, you will become more like the one who is the truth, capital T. So, we have point number one, abiding in the truth. And that's verses 24 through 27. And our second point is the one who is the truth, verse 28 and 29. So, let's look at this first point together. We covered some of these verses last um, Sunday when we were looking at our study through um, 1 John. But I thought it might be helpful if we go over them again because verses 24 and 25 still connect to the same thought process that John is having here in his letter. So the first point is the command. Once again, with the outline and, and all of that, I'm indebted to Steve Lawson's study on uh, 1 John. The command, verse 24a This is what John says, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. This is is in the indicative, this is a command. As for you, see that you, in stark contrast to the false teachers and believers that he just mentioned, in the previous section, had been part of the church but left the church, right? 
They had been in the church, but they were not of the church. And so they left us so that we would know they are not of us. Uh, but, but for you, you true believers, you who are still in the church, you who remain, right? See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. What is it that he uh, is talking about here when he says what you had heard from the beginning? It is uh, the, uh, the truth of the scriptures, what they have been taught, right? Uh, we must take every step to make sure that the word of God, the truth, is heard by the preaching and proclamation of the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Uh, from the beginning refers to their first exposure to the truth. So John is referencing the time in which they first heard the gospel. They became believers in Jesus Christ. They were given a summary of the doctrine. Uh, it's, it's a lot like what we have in the Apostles' Creed, those essentials of the faith. Um, and they continued on in, in, in becoming a church and continuing to encourage one another. John is recalling for them those days, those days. Remember when you heard the word, the first time you heard the word, the first time you were exposed to the truth. Hold on to those things. Do not be pulled away from the word by the false teachers. Don't let them snatch the word out of you. New truth is old heresy. People will say that. New truth is old heresy. If you've ever heard somebody come and say, I have had a, a new revelation from God and blah, blah, blah. This is it. You know what it is? It's probably Marcionism from the first century. It's probably some, some form of Gnosticism from the first century. It's probably some form of Arianism from the first century. It, the uh, new truth is just old heresy repackaged. That's all, that's all it is. And maybe you've also heard this phrase, if it's new, it's not true. If it's new, it's not true. And what, what that's communicating about the Christian faith is that we're 2,000 years into church history at this point, right? We're 2,000 years since the coming of Christ and uh, the giving of that particular redemptive moment in Revelation, which was encapsulated 50, 60 years after Christ in the New Testament. We are, we're told that the Spirit has been poured out on us and He will lead us into all truth. We're 2,000 years into that. And so nothing new is being discovered. Nothing new is being found out. We're not merging into this newfound uh, situation in the Christian faith. We're, we might be having, the, the Holy Spirit might be working in ways of drawing more of an emphasis on particular things. But He's not creating new doctrine for us. That's all been laid. And, and this is the way Paul communicates that. Uh, the apostles and the prophets laid the foundation of which Christ is the cornerstone. And so we're not creating new stuff when it comes to the essentials of the faith, when it comes to the foundational doctrines. Those are settled. And John says, so if somebody comes to you and says, they've got something new for you, um, don't listen to them. This is the way Paul says it in Colossians 3, 16 and following. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Let the word dwell in you. Um, and so how is it that uh, this relates to the false teachers that left, the people who are, well, think of the parable of the sower, right? Jesus explains the parable of the sower, and he says, the seed, what is it? It's the word, right, that was preached to you. 
But not everybody responds to the word in, in the same way. Some people are like the seed that fell on the path that was trampled and the, and the birds came and snatched it away. Some were seeds that fell and grew up real quick, but then the thorns of life and the, and the stresses of life took it away. Some were seeds that, um, um, I forget what the last category is, but then the final category is some were seeds that fell and produced fruit, right? And so that's, that's what we're talking about here is, is don't be like those other categories. Be like the seed that fell on uh, uh, fertilized ground that produced 20, 30, 40, 50 fold. Be like that. Let the, let the word that you heard from the beginning remain in you. Did that weird thing again. I don't know. This is, ooh, this is nice. You know, I, I don't know if there's a better feeling than when you get like a new pen or like a new mark and it just it glides. You know what I'm talking about? I guess that's kind of a nerdy thing. Uh, the consequence, verse 24b. When it says, if it does, that is, if the word does remain in you, what you heard from the beginning, if it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. So this is what comes from remaining. Uh, you remain in the Son and the Father. You'll experience a closeness and an intimacy. So if you want to be close to the Lord, the Word must be close to you. Uh, the solidarity of the Trinity is that to have fellowship with one is to have fellowship with the three. So to have fellowship with the Christ is to have fellowship with the triune God. If you want to have closeness, intimacy with God, then let the word dwell in you richly, right? Let the word dwell in you richly. I heard a sermon one time where, where somebody was saying, you know, you might have all the knowledge in the world, you might have theology, and you might have just a brain filled with all of the important information that we find in Scripture, but people will argue with you about that. What you need, what people need, is an experience. And I get that. You need to have, you need to have a personal experience with God. You need to have a personal relationship with with Jesus, right? But what happens if someone says, my Jesus said it's okay for me to have sex outside of marriage. And then I go to him and say, well, well my, my Jesus says that it's not okay to have sex outside of marriage. How do you, how do you uh, resolve that conflict? Well, you figure out what Jesus said. In his word. And so you need to have both. And if you want to have that closeness and that intimacy with Jesus, you have to know who Jesus is and the way Jesus has revealed himself in his word. If you want to have closeness and intimacy with God, you have to know what God you're having closeness and intimacy with. And this is how God has revealed himself in his word. And so don't make reading God's word some sort of dry experience where you just read the next chapter. Guys, I do this all the time. I just read the next chapter and read the next chapter and read the next word. Make it meaningful and know that when you are reading this word, when you are 
taking in this word that God is speaking to you. And merge the information with the personal experience. The certainty. Verse 25 says, and this is what he promised us, eternal life. This eternal life is never ending. It's never diminished. You need to allow the truth to abide in you, not just so that you can be saved, but because you are saved, because you have eternal life. Let that life, that eternal life that comes through the word, hearing the word of God, believing the word of God, let that life do its work in you. Let that life lead you in the truth. Let that life abide in you by the word of God so that you can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Then there's the caution. This, this, pen, this marker is so good, it's making my handwriting worse. <laughs> I didn't think that was possible. Verse 26 says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. So look back at verse 18 through 23 about these antichrists, about these people who went out from us, about these people who... Um, Verse 23, uh, 22 and 23 says, Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. So uh, he, John is writing these things to them because it's a particular situation. It's a particular context. They have been conflicted. They have been confronted with these false teachers, with this false teaching. He's writing these things to them so that they would not be led astray by those who are trying to lead them astray. The false teachers, the Antichrists, they were among them, but they left. They're deniers of the Christ, of the Trinitarian nature of God. Uh, John will talk more about them in 1 John chapter 4. This is what he says in chapter 4. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. To see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is what he says in verse 5. They are from the world. And therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. Verse 6. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth. And the spirit of falsehood. John says these false teachers they are worldly. That's why people who are worldly listen to them. These false teachers, they do not have a true spirit. They have a false spirit. They have a message that appeals to worldly people, and they speak from a spirit of error. They're false prophets. John is writing to these churches in this area, Asia Minor, to warn them about these teachers. But he also wants to give them a confidence. Verse 27. As for you. As for you. This is what they call an inclusio. It book, bookends that show the beginning and end of a thought. Verse 24 says... 
in uh, most translations, as for you. Uh, the way the NIV translated it is, see that what you have. But it's as for you. So as for you in verse 24, as for you in verse 27, shows that John is concluding this thought. Uh, the anointing you received from him remains in you. Re- remains, abides in you. This anointing refers to the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enlightens us to the truth of God's word. The Spirit gives us eyes to see and ears to hear. The evidence of the anointing is seen in your ability to see the gospel as good and your need for it. This anointing shows not only that you are able to know, understand, and apply the truth of God's word, but also that you are chosen, kept, called, and enabled to live a life of purpose for God. So the ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Christian life is throughout your whole life. And it's necessary. He will not move out because you did something bad. He will not move out because you said one lie. He will not move out because you did this horrible thing. He will continue to work on you. This is what uh, John says. The anointing you receive from him remains in you. The anointing you receive from Christ. It's Christ's spirit. He poured it out. He said, I am going to the Father so I can send you the comforter, the helper, the counselor. This is what John is talking about. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. We're all Pentecostals because we all believe that the Holy Spirit has been poured out on his church, his people. And this anointing remains in them. And then John says something that's that's very confusing. He says, and you do not need anyone to teach you. You do not need anyone to teach you. So um, uh, the first thing I need to say is, um, yes, you do need someone to teach you. <laughs> what I'm doing up here is not a, a pointless job or an unnecessary job. Um, there are some people who have taken this passage to me and that since we have had the Spirit, since we have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on us, that we don't need somebody called a pastor or a teacher or an elder, right? Uh, the, um, the Quakers were like this. You go to a Quaker service, everybody just comes to the church, and you all just pray until somebody gets the spirit and starts quaking. That's why they call them the Quakers, and feels that they have a word from God, and anybody can bring a word from God, right? That's, uh, that's what the Quakers believe. Um, but, but this is not the case. Um, This is what Ephesians chapter 4 says about what the Spirit has done and about our need for what gifts Christ has given the church. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 9, or verse 7 and following. But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says... In Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It is he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
So God has given teachers and preachers to the church. In fact, Matthew chapter 28, uh, the Great Commission, Jesus says, one of the things that you must do is go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, teaching them everything I have commanded them. If Jesus says what you're supposed to do as the church, your given mission is to go and to teach the nations everything that I have taught you, then why does John say here, and you do not need anyone to teach you? Well, we all need God-gifted human teachers to make the Scripture clear to us. Um, This is actually a means of God's grace. Uh, So this does not mean we do not need a teacher. We don't outgrow our need for this. In fact, John, writing to them this letter, is proving his point that that's not what he means. He is teaching them right now, right? So what does it mean? Um, It means that you have no need for what those false teachers are calling special and secret knowledge that only they have and only you can learn from them. Only they have and only you can learn from them. This is, this is a characteristic of false teachers, especially of these Gnostic teachers. They claimed that they had special knowledge, special revelation from God, that they have unlocked a deeper truth and a deeper spirituality than everyone else before them. And here's the key. This is what they do. They put it behind a pay window. That's what they do. You ever be scrolling on the internet sometimes and you see an article that sounds really interesting and you'd like to read it and you click on it and then it lets you read the first couple paragraphs and then it says, sign up for $9.99 a month. And you can read the rest of this article. It's a pay window. And that's what false teachers do. They say, I've got secret knowledge. You can only get it from me. But you've got to pay for it. And John says, you don't need anyone to teach you. You don't need anyone to teach you like that. You don't need anyone to teach you because they're saying they have... Special knowledge. They're claiming that they have special revelation. And what you need to know is what you were given at first. What word of God that was preached to you, the gospel that was preached to you at first, it is sufficient. You have no need for anything else. And if you do have need for anything else, what you need to know is that you have the Holy Spirit that is the truth. It's not a false spirit. It's not a lying spirit. It is a true spirit. And that spirit abides in you so that you can understand spiritual things. You can understand things because that spirit, excuse me, gives you access to the mind of God. That spirit, he enlightens you to the truth of God's word. He opens up truth for you. And so if someone is claiming that they have special revelation that you don't have and you can only get it from them, they're lying. They're lying. They're lying. John continues, but as his anointing teaches you about all things... This is not saying that the Holy Spirit will give us complete knowledge about everything, including geometry. Trust me. It, it doesn't work that way. 
or real estate or the biological makeup of female dodo birds. That's not what John is saying. He's not saying that the anointing of the Holy Spirit will teach you about all things. No, he's talking about spiritual truth. The Holy Spirit will teach the essential truths of the gospel concerning theology, concerning sound doctrine, concerning what everything you need for life, everything you need for practice, everything you need for knowing the good news of Jesus Christ and believing it and living out the Christian life. Every Christian must be the recipient of the anointing of the Holy Spirit if we are to be taught by God. This anointing teaches you about all things. And as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, this is not a false anointing like the one that the false teachers claim to have. This anointing is from the spirit of truth who leads us into all truth. The spirit of truth that allows us to worship God in spirit and in truth. This is the real deal. Just as it has taught you, remain in him. Abide in him. The Holy Spirit reveals the truth of the word to us, not only in the written word, but also in the word become flesh. So that we may know the importance, the joy of remaining and abiding in Christ, abiding in his work, abiding in his ways, abiding in his love, abiding in his joy, abiding in his peace. So uh, a couple notes of application here. Meditate on the word of God. Memorize the word of God. Mention the word of God to others. Uh, one of the most uh, profound things that's happened uh, uh, as I became a part of the ministry, calling to the ministry, and as I began to realize that I needed to learn the Word of God for myself, apply the Word of God to myself, and then teach the Word of God to others, is that that is the most effective way to get the Word of God in you and keep it in you. And here's the key. Not only just pastors can do this. So have you ever sat down with your spouse and said, can I tell you about something I was reading in God's Word today? This is what it says. Read this here. And this is what I, this is what I believe it's you know, studying it and teaching. This is what I believe it's teaching here. This is what I believe God is saying here. This is the way I, I believe God wants me to be applying this in my life. It's pretty crazy, right? It's pretty amazing. Bam, that thing gets into you deeper, doesn't it? Because you're talking about it. You're not just reading it. You're not just memorizing it, but you're speaking about it to others, okay? So let's look at this second point then. Verse 28 and 29. These last two verses communicate a truth that is all throughout Scripture, and it's uh, attested to us in life, and that is like produces like. Or if you wanted a, uh, if you wanted a, um, a newer terminology for, for that, real recognize real, Right? Like produces like, real recognize real, root determines fruit. Um, or the other way that we could say this is, it's not just what you say, um, but it's the way you live, your life. And so this is what um, Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the same, th- or this is what John is talking about here, but he's talking about the same thing that Jesus talked about um, in, in Scripture. When he talked about how you will recognize them by their fruit, right? A thorn bush cannot produce apples. A, a, a 
you will recognize, you will, you will know people by their fruit. You can't have uh, the root of something be one thing and then its fruit produce something else. The root determines the fruit. So, I feel like I have too many eyes there. Nope, it just feels weird when you write it. Responsibility, the responsibility, verse 28a. John says, and now, dear children, continue in him. Remain in him, abide in him. This is the same word throughout this whole section about abiding in him. It's almost like John wants us to get how important that is, right? Abiding, remaining, staying steadfast, not giving up on the truths that you heard from the beginning, not giving up on remaining in Christ. Now, dear children, continue, remain, abide in him. This is a, a bridge or a summation, a bottom line that connects what was said before to this new section that John is about to start. Uh, and the responsibility given here is to abide in Christ. Remain in Him. And don't seek anything else. Rest in Him. Know that in Christ you have everything that you need. Rely on Him in, in times of hardship. That's what it looks like to remain, to rest, to rely. That's what it looks like to abide in Christ. Abide in His Word. Abide with Him in prayer. Abide with Him in worship. Do not forsake the gathering together. Abide in the fellowship. As a branch would abide in a vine, so you must abide in Christ. John chapter 15, um, John talks about this. This is what Jesus' own teaching um, in, in the Gospels, in John chapter 15, let's just read those first five verses. Jesus says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me. Abide. It's the same, it's the same Greek word. And I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Do we know how important that is then to remain, to abide in Christ? Here's the reason why. So that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Christ is coming again to judge the living and the dead. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, John will talk more about this. He says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but what we know but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. When Christ is revealed, this is the apocalypse, this is the revelation, this is the second coming of Christ that he's talking about. And why does he say we must abide in him? So that we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. So what is being communicated here is important. I think there are two responses when Christ returns. 
those who will have confidence and those who will shrink away in shame. I don't believe what John here is saying is that these two categories are between more faithful Christians who are going to get a better reward and less faithful Christians who are going to be embarrassed when God or when Jesus comes back. I don't think that any of us who are in Christ, abiding in Christ, right, are going to be, oh, I was hoping not today. I'm not not at my best. I I don't think that's going to happen. And I don't think that's what, what John is talking about here. I don't think what John is trying to do is goad true Christians into doing more stuff so that they don't feel guilty when Christ shows up and you haven't been hard at work. Now, I think what this context dictates is that what John is talking about here is the difference between true Christians and false Christians. True Christians and false professors. People who profess to be Christians, people who say they're Christians, but aren't Christians. So, sheep, goats, wheat, tares. That there is a situation in our day and age by which we can say there are people who are part of the visible church... But on that day, they're going to tell Jesus, well, didn't we do all these things in your name? And he's going to say what? Lord, Lord, they're going to say, he's going to say, I never knew you. I never knew you. And because John is talking about these false Christians, they call themselves Christians. Do you think the people who left that church are saying, we're no longer Christians? No, no, they're saying, no, we're Christians. We're actually more true Christians than those Christians. Don't go to that church. Come to our church. We have secret knowledge. We know everything about Jesus. They don't know anything about Jesus. Come to our church. They are saying that they're true Christians. They're true believers. But the fruit doesn't add up. The root determines the fruit, right? No, John is saying that when he appears, true believers who are abiding in Christ, how do we abide in Christ? Do we abide in Christ because we work hard at staying in Christ? And if one day we decide we're having a bad day and we don't make it and we don't cut it, we go to bed that night hoping Jesus doesn't return because we're not abiding in him right now. And that means when he shows up, we're not ready, we're not prepared. No, that's not how this works. We abide in Christ because Christ himself gives us the grace and the spiritual unction and power to do that very thing. Our Christian life is the life of Christ at work in us by the Spirit. So all who abide in Christ, all who are true believers in Christ, all who have true faith in Christ that has been gifted to them by the Spirit, we're going to be confident when Christ comes back. And all those who said they were Christians, but they didn't walk the walk, they just talked the talk. All those who said they were Christians, but stole millions from widows and injured and sick people and drove around in big jets and had nice mansions, they are going to be ashamed.
because their true nature will finally be revealed. Who they really are will finally be revealed. The mask of hypocrisy will be ripped away. The sheep and the goats will be separated. The wheat and the tares will be divided. Therefore, John gives us reassurance, verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, that is, Jesus, the one who is coming, he is the righteous one. This refers to his absolute holiness. He can never act and speak contrary to his nature and character. That he rewards obedient service and he withholds rewards to the disobedient. For Jesus to be righteous, he always rewards exactly what is coming to his servant, no less, no more. And that should be something that gives us confidence because it means that when Christ comes again to judge the living and the dead, the one that was already judged in our place is the one who's coming. That's what the catechism says, right? And John says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is righteous has been born of him. You know that everyone who does right, or you know that everyone who practices righteousness, is another way that this could be translated, has been born of him. Like produces like. This indicates the direction, not the perfection of your life. Righteousness means conformity to a standard. The character and commandments of God, we're growing in conformity to that over our life. Not perfectly, not always up, but always on a trajectory towards up, right? We are trending upward. We, we might go two steps forward and one step back, but there's a direction in our lives that's towards the righteousness of Jesus Christ, towards growing in righteousness and holiness. You're becoming more and more like Christ. This means every believer must have a pattern of life that is in some way becoming increasingly more and more like Christ. The righteous one produces righteous ones the new birth the regeneration of the holy spirit the being born again the creation of new hearts new natures new creations means that you will have a likeness to christ that grows the seed begins to grow it breaks ground it produces fruit and because the root of christ is good is righteous then the fruit of the christian life is good righteous and John will uh, continue to use this analogy later in 1 John chapter 3. He'll say, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. This should bring great assurance in our lives, not something that should bring us discouragement, worry, concern. It's so that you might know that this is something that you can't fake. Ultimately, you can't fake being a true Christian. The holiness growing in your life is the evidence of the work of God in you. It's a supernatural thing. It's something that represents the truth of your conversion. 
But on the flip side, too, this should also cause us to examine ourselves. Am I truly abiding in Christ moment by moment? Am I growing in godliness and holiness? Am I living in light of Christ's imminent return? Because if there's one thing that John is communicating to us, that's something that we should ponder, something that we should consider, is... Am I keeping my eyes on the object of my faith, Jesus Christ? Am I abiding in him? Am I gazing upon him? And as the more and more I look upon him, the more and more people say, you look like Jesus. Or is there a need for me? To consider whether I truly belong to Christ or not? Do I have a true faith in Christ? Do I really trust him? Have I really been made new by him? Have I really been born again? Because if you abide in the truth, you will become more like the one who is the truth. So, Fellow believers, abide in him, trust in him. Amen. We pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this time. We ask, Lord, that you be with us. Help us to abide in you. Help us to know you more deeply, see you more clearly, and grow into your likeness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.